we have been in, a, in the middle of a message, sermon series entitled Fulfillment. And guys, I want, you to re- I want to remind you that fulfillment is exactly what the Lord promised us. As a matter of fact, our, our focal passage is found in John 10, 10. This is the, for, the fourth message of a, of a six-week message series entitled Fulfillment. And, and like I said, it's found in John 10, 10, our focal passage. And it, and it reads, the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in the full. I have come that you might have life, that you might live it in the fullest way possible, that you might live it in the fullest manner possible, that you might live it abundantly at another level. Can I tell you that that what God is talking about here is living life at another level? There is a whole nother level to live at. The question is, do you want it? Because there's two things going on, and I'm just going to summarize where we've been because I wanted to remind you of where we've been in case someone is, is just jumping in, or I think it's best when we see how the sermons uh, stack on top of each other. One of the things that we pointed out is there's two, two ideas in this one verse. What are those two ideas? One of them is, is saying there's an enemy at play here. The enemy wants to do what? Steal, kill, destroy. And Jesus says, I have come. I have come that you might have life, that you might be able to live it in an absolute abundant and fulfilled way. The choice is yours. So you're in the middle saying, which way should I go? There's a fork in the road, Jesus is saying. There's two, there's two people, but you can't serve both. You have to choose one or the other. You can either choose to serve the enemy or you can choose to serve Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, he put it this way. He said, there are two paths. Wide and broad and easily traveled is the one that leads to where? Destruction. But narrow, hard to find, difficult is the one that leads to life. Few will find it and few travel by it, but it leads to heaven. Now I need you to understand something else that we've said about these two paths. One leads to destruction. Uh, Solomon puts it this way, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. That's because the enemy will lie to you. The one that leads to life, you you must enter through a narrow gate, Jesus said. So I want you to think about this with me for a second, because you must enter through a gate, and then he changes the discussion from being in the gate to being on a path. So there's two components. There's the gate and there's the path. The gate takes place when you, when you proclaim saving faith in Jesus Christ, you have entered through the gate. Now, someone said, well, well, aren't there many ways to salvation? I don't know what the world is teaching. I know that the world teaches a broad way, many ways. I do know what Jesus said. It's a narrow path for I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there is a narrow gate. His name is Jesus. You must proclaim saving faith in him, and you enter through the gate. But you don't stay there. You must travel on the path. The path is sanctification. 
See, justification took place the day you were justified. You, you proclaimed faith and it was credited to your account as righteousness. Even Paul says he used the example of Abraham. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, last week we talked about faith and we said there's two types of faith in a sense. The first faith is saving faith. The, the second faith is living faith. What do we mean by that? Saving faith transfers you from darkness to light, from death to life, from unrighteousness to righteousness, from being unjustified to being justified. The minute you are justified, that's the technological, theological term for saying you are now saved. That is the faith that Abraham believed God when God told him you would be the father of many nations and it was credited to his account for righteousness. Now watch this. James says Abraham believed God and it was credited to his account for righteousness when he by his works, uh-oh, was justified. What works? See, positional faith requires a belief. Practical faith requires an action. There's two different things happening. That's when you're saved, this is how you live. Okay, that happens once upon a time. This happens every day in the present. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about not just faith, but holiness. Not one amen. You know, most preachers don't talk about holiness these days. I was looking on the internet and I was Googling different ministers, ministers that I respect, ministers that I admire. Just, just I wanted to find some, some messages on holiness and preparing for my message. And it was very difficult to find messages on holiness. You find messages on all sorts of things, but not holiness. And yet, holiness was one of the hallmarks of the Christian church in the New Testament. It's the way they were to live, holy. It's what set them apart from the rest of the world, holiness. And yet it's so, it's so ignored and often downplayed in the church today and we wonder why we don't have more power. So I wanna share with you a message on holiness. Now holiness, real quickly, is to be set apart, to transcend or to be above and not ordinary, but extraordinary. So I want you to think about this with me, to be set apart, set apart from what? Set apart from worldliness, set apart from sin. God is apart from sin. He is not in there with sin, he is apart from sin. He is not down with us in the sense that he is like us. He is what? High above us. You know, one of the books that tells us the most about God's holiness is the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah touched the holiness of God and it changed the way he lived and the way he perceived and the way that he conducted himself to the point that he became the prince of prophets after touching the holiness of God. Because when you touch the holiness of God, it changes who you are. Can I tell you, well, pastor, when do we touch the holiness of God? You touch the holiness of God when you become saved. Because when you become saved and you proclaim saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, all of this we know because the Apostle Paul was given the, the gospel of grace to share with the church. And the Apostle Paul says, when you are, what, saved by grace through faith, it's not something you do. Paul is the one who explains all of that. He also says in the book of Romans, if you have not the spirit of God, you do not belong to him. So we know that the minute you become saved, you begin, you receive the spirit of God. The Apostle Paul says that he is the one that testifies 
that you are saved. He is the one that seals you until redemption. He is the one that what? Cleanses you and makes you whole. It's the spirit of the living God. So you are touched by the spirit of the living God the minute you are saved. And when he touches you, he changes who you are. I don't think you're getting that. See, not only is holiness to be set apart or to be above, a cut above the rest. Come on, how many of you have ever known that there are, there are suits and then there are suits? You know, there are suits that you can just go and pull off the rack and then there are suits where they tailor it to your body. And when you get a suit like that, it's, a, it's said to be a cut above the rest. In the book of Isaiah, God says, I'm a cut above the rest. I don't... I, you have to understand something. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are above the earth, so am I above you. Because I am not ordinary. I am set apart. I am not like you. God is saying, I am holy. You know what else holiness is? It's consistency. Consistency. Listen to the definition of consistency. Marked by harmony, regularity, or steady what? continuity, free from variation or contradiction. God is saying, there is no contradiction in me. If I say it, if my, if my mouth proclaims it, my hand will perform it. Because I have no contradiction. I do not lie. I'm not a man who lies and changes his mind and who will make mistakes. I always perform what my mouth has said. I am one in thought and action. I am perfectly consistent. You can call that holiness. There is no variation of turning with me. I am holy, God says. I want you to put it, I want you to think about this another way. The Bible talks about this over and over and over, that about the consistency and integrity of God. Let me ask you this. If, if you put an apple seed in the ground, what will you get up? An apple tree. How can you be sure? You're talking nonsense, pastor, because, see, because God has been so consistent and so, he is such a God of integrity that we take it for granted, we don't even talk about it. In other words, if I'm holding an apple in my hand, you know that's an apple. If I'm holding a, a, an orange in my hand, have you ever peeled back that orange and found a banana? You Sure. So since you were little, you've been peeling back oranges and you find an orange. And you, don't, you, just, you just take it for granted. Can I tell you that's what God's word says? You will produce according to your kind. If you have been changed by the holiness of the Holy Spirit of the living God and faith has... And hey, faith has been placed in Christ Jesus and you are now born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are a new creation, you will produce according to your kind. Amen. I'll put it to you another way. God's word says, can a salt water or bitter spring produce sweet waters or fresh water? Can a fresh water spring produce salt waters or bitter waters? No, you will produce according to who you are. This is important. This is important. Because this is not emphasized enough, and yet God is consistent in everything he does. But, but wait a minute, Pastor. Wait, wait. Are you saying that, 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 that... What are you saying? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of us believe that all sin 
is the same to God. Sin is sin before God. Raise your hand if you think sin is sin before God. Okay? Sin is sin. How many of you don't believe that? That God doesn't see all sin the same? Raise your hand if you don't believe God sees all sin the same. Okay, good. Um, For those of you who believe that God sees all sin the same, can you show me in God's word? Well, you, you know, I mean, it says, uh, I mean, you, you know, in that, in that one verse, right? In, what do, you know, did Jesus say it? No, I think it's Old Testament. I mean, come on, pastor, help me out. I'll help you. James chapter 2, verse 10. Yeah, that's the one. Lying is a sin too. You say, where are you taking me, pastor? I challenged you last week, Remember? I took you on a journey, and many of you were, wow, I didn't realize that was in God's word and the way you, you described it and the way you, you divided the two faiths. And that one is, well, let, let, let's, let's go on another journey today. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, what is this verse saying? Is this saying that God views all sin the same, or is he saying that one sin is all you need to condemn you? He's saying one sin is all you need to condemn you, but can I tell you that God doesn't view all sin the same? You can learn a lot about the Creator by just analyzing yourself as His creation, as you might learn a lot about a, an artist by looking at his art. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it with me. If I'm speeding down the road and the speed limit is 55 and I travel 56, is that the same as someone who takes their automobile and runs over their enemy and murders them? Is that the same? Is it the same to you? Do you perceive it to be the same to God? Well, both of them will send you to hell, so to speak. Both of them are technically breaking the law, but one is worse to God. Let me put it to you another way. In the Old Testament, I can show you, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to because I've got tons of verses that I need to get through, but I can show you verse and passage after passage where God says, these six things I hate and seven is an abomination to me where he outlines certain sins, where he destroys civilization for other sins, where he he judges entire people groups because of certain things that they were doing. Now, we'll talk about that another day, but what I'm telling you is sin is not just sin. There are some sins that are worse than others, but this is an erroneous tradition that is now being practiced in the church and it's affecting the way we live. Why? Because we tend to think that sin is sin, so what does it matter? Let's just sin. God covers it all anyway. See, and that's what Paul said. What shall we say then? That if, if sin exists, then grace will abound. And if we sin more, then grace will abound all the more. Then why not keep sinning? That grace would continue to show off and show up and continue to cover it. Paul says, certainly not. That should not be your view. For grace doesn't give you an excuse to live lower. It gives you a reason to live higher. It gives you a reason to live higher. Now stay with me on this, because this is important. Very, very important. Watch what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is now in you, and you are a part of God, and God is a part of you? Watch what he's saying. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot or a prostitute? 
this union, this spiritual holy union that I have with Christ, should I take it and enter willfully into sin, especially sexual sin with a, with a prostitute? I'm not just talking to the men here. I'm talking to the ladies. I'm talking to the young people. Paul is talking to anybody here. Listen to the point he is making. Certainly not, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot or a prostitute is one body with her? Listen to what else he says. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So you're one spirit with the Lord and then you take that union with Christ and you make Christ be united with the sin, but yet he is to be separated from it. He is to be above it. He is not to be, this is not consistent with who he is. What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is that God is telling us don't buy the lie of the enemy that says you can give yourself away and it shouldn't bother you and it's no big deal and someday you'll enter into a, 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 a long-lasting relationship and you'll have nothing to worry about from your previous relationships when God has said you become one and you're leaving a little piece of your soul with each and every one. Why are you doing that when I have a whole nother level for you to live at. I want you to live an abundant, fulfilled life. And the way you do it is you protect yourself and you live holy so that when you finally get the one that Christ has given you, you can give yourself holy to them. And you and Christ and that significant other, that spouse of yours, come into a holy matrimony and you are fulfilled. You are fulfilled. You're saying, Pastor, can Christ forgive it? Yes, Christ can forgive it, but there has to be a desire. There has to be a desire for forgiveness. Christ can forgive anything. We'll talk about that. Keep with me on this. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Here's that word, temple. You are the temple of the living God. That means God is inside of you as the temple. Now notice, he says there's a difference between other sin and this sin. That means there's a difference between sin. We shouldn't be so willy-nilly that, ah, sin is sin. God forgives it all. No. Sin separates us from God. Because God is holy and he is separated from sin. He is consistent and he doesn't go back and forth and waffle. Sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. Sometimes he does good, sometimes he does bad. That is not our God. He is a holy God. Stay with me on this. So what is the point? The point is Hebrews puts it best. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Pursue holiness. When was the last time you heard a preacher tell you openly and strongly with all authority, you should desire to be holy? Holy. Why? Because maybe we have a false tradition that's weaseled its way into the church. Stay with me on this. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That means there's something great at stake. There's eternity at stake. Eternity at stake. But pastor, 
aren't we made holy by his righteousness at salvation? Isn't that our position? Absolutely. I don't argue our position. Read with me in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Come on, say it with me. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. But you just proved your case against yourself. God did this before we were even around. He did it at the cross. He did it, he did it even before he died on the cross because it was already said and done throughout eternity. And we are saved. We are saved. And once we're saved, we have a position of holiness. Yes, you have a position of holiness. But can I tell you, for the longest, the church has been emphasizing just our position and not the practice. And can I tell you something else? When you have a position, you naturally practice it. That's the way it goes. You can't say, I'm holy and yet produce salt water. When Jesus Christ is the living fountain within you, if Jesus Christ is the living fountain within you, then you should desire to what? Produce fresh living water. See, it's the difference what we were talking about last week. Last week, Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him to righteousness and it showed up in his faith and that was accounted to him for righteousness too. Why? They work hand in hand. Who you are is what you live. Does that make sense? Can I quote the great theologian Ice Cube? (laughs) He says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Can I tell you that the, the, the New Testament says the same thing? Examine yourself to see if you were really in the... Don't let some tradition rob you of the power of God's word when you believe the tradition that, guess what? I'm saved. It doesn't matter how I live. It matters because how you live is an indication if you're really saved. It's the whole chicken and the egg argument. What comes first? Guess what? If you're saved, you're going to produce... Let me put it to you this way. If I'm an orange on the outside, I'm going to be an orange on the inside. If I'm an orange on the inside, I'm going to look like an orange on the outside. There's integrity there because God creates with integrity, with with integrity. So you're saying, well, pastor, then, then, then what should I be? Listen, Peter puts it very, very clearly. As obedient children, do not conform Mark that word conform. It's not the only time it's used in the New Testament. Listen to this. As obedient children, do not conform to evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. What ignorance? Before you understood that Jesus Christ was the Savior. Before you were, your eyes were opened, before you were transferred from darkness to light, before you became saved, that's the way you used to live. But now, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What he's saying is this, your king of glory is holy and that's who you should imitate. That's who you should want to be like. So strive for holiness. This is called practical theology. Not just positional theology, but positional theology leads to practical theology, the way you live. Amen? 
if you're still having trouble following me, listen to the beautiful benefit of living for Christ. Living a holy life for Christ. Listen to what John says. Whoever has my commandments, we have his commandments. We have the scripture in front of us right now. We're reading them. Listen to what he says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. I want you to make that connection between real love and holiness. When you truly love God, you desire to live for him. When you truly love God, someone said, well, pastor, I'm having trouble living for the Lord. You're having trouble loving him. What do you mean? I love him. No, I would, I would offer you, good sir, you love yourself more. Self-love will lead you to selfish living. Godly love and a love for God with all your heart will change the way you live. I'm not saying you can't change. What I'm saying is you have to be aware so that the spirit of the living God and the word of God can change you. But if you don't know you have a problem, then you just keep saying, I'm saved even though I don't live it. Here we go. Watch this. To one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. What do you mean? I'm saying that when we live holy, God shows up in our lives. Come on, how many of you know that where God is, there is blessing? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Freedom. Freedom is the blessing of God. Freedom is a breakthrough from sin and death. Freedom is life. Freedom is God's blessing. I need you to understand this. But can I tell you that, 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 yes, I understand that sometimes holiness, because it's separate, because it's consistent, because it's all of those beautiful things, sometimes it can be quite intimidating to us. Anyone ever intimidated by God's holiness? No, no, C.S. Lewis put it best when we, he said, us Christians, we, we try to make nice with the goodness of God, but if we truly understood the goodness of God, it would frighten us. Because God is so good that anyone who's not good, he cannot have relationship with. We can only have relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But listen to what Jesus is saying. If you love me, then you will follow my commandments. And when you follow my commandments and you live holy, then I'll show up and I'll show myself to you. You will begin to know God and the goodness thereof. And you will begin to live with him in your life. Say, but pastor, pastor, I want the goodness of God, but I don't want to have to live holy. Can I tell you, you can't get there from here. The only way you can get to the goodness of God is to live for him. You say, oh, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. No, no, you're not struggling. Listen to what Paul says. Listen to what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. What kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. How? Holy. Holy. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. One version says, which is your reasonable act of worship. You want to worship God, the kind of God, worship that God uh, uh, honors? You live for him. 
You know, there's a verse where it's in the New Testament and in the Old Testament where God says, my people or these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. See, you take that with the other teachings of God's word, what he says, he doesn't, he doesn't value talk and he doesn't value stuff. What he values is what? Our hearts. You want to love God? Jesus says, do my commandments. When you do my commandments, I show up. This is what Paul is saying. If you consider how much mercy God has had, what is mercy? Stay with me on this. What is mercy? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Grace is getting a gift, heaven, that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. What do we deserve? Huh? Death. So mercy, okay, this is what Paul is saying. In light of the fact that God didn't send your tail to hell, the least you can do is live for him. How should you live? Holy. Holy. You say, but pastor, you're putting it all on me. No, 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 no. You, you see, when it's all on you, you won't live holy. When you give yourself to him completely, then it's the natural byproduct because everything God does has integrity and consistency. There's consistency. There's consistency. And so Ephesians puts it there for, this way, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Now this is a discussion you can see the New King James Version says this is how we should walk in love. Now quickly, I want you to understand how love is equated to holiness. Watch this. Therefore, be imitators. We should want to be like Christ, right? As dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. What God is saying here is when you live holy and you live all out for me and you obey my commandments, you smell good to me. Come on, how many of you have ever smelled something good and you want more of it? You, you smell something good and you want to, oh, what is that? I can remember the first time I smelled fajitas. <laughs> I kid you not, the first time I smelled fajitas, we're in, we're in San Antonio, Texas, the very first, Taco Cabana. I'm not talking about these they have now, I'm talking about the first one. And, and the two partners still had them together before they split up and, and they went corporate. And my dad took us and I was like, what is that? Because that smells delicious. Come on, how many of you have ever, my, my kids have gotten into this thing called aromatherapy and they put, it, they put these awesome oils in these diffusers and everybody has a diffuser and they're all like, they got this little puff of vapor and it's smelly good stuff, man. You walk into my house, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm walking through the garden. You want to start singing Elvis, walking through the garden with God, you know, and, 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 and so I, I love it. Or how about when you pick up a baby and you smell that fresh little newborn baby, doesn't it smell good? And you're just like, but what about when that baby goes, you're like, Why do you do this? Can I tell you the same reason God does? When he says, 
our holiness is like a sweet smell and aroma and I will show up and show my face to you and show you my ways and I will bless you. But when you are just honoring me with your lips and not your heart, when you say that you love me but you act a different way, it's a stench in my nose and I don't want to be near it. Those are his words, not mine. Those are his words. So let me put it to you this way. I know that holiness can be intimidating. It was intimidating to even David. When David didn't do right by the ark of the Lord, he faced a consequence that he wasn't comfortable with and he took the ark and he gave it to Obed-Edom to hold because he, didn't, he was intimidated by the holiness of God. I believe the church is intimidated by the holiness of God and so therefore we are re-explaining it. We are coming up with a different tradition. We are changing it. We focus on the positional theology instead of the practical theology and we say all of these things to try to water it down and all we do is hurt ourselves. Can I tell you why? Because when that ark was not in the palace, David was not blessed. And you know who was being blessed? The one who valued the holiness of God, and that was Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's home, the Bible says, was blessed so profusely and so profoundly that everyone in Israel would look at him and go, what is going on? Your house is being blessed. Your fields are being blessed. Your cattle's being blessed. Everything you touch is blessed. Why? Because God is, can I tell you this? When God be for you, who can be against you? What God has blessed, no man can curse. And so David said, maybe I need to reevaluate this thing and quit being intimidated by the holiness of God and get the ark back. Can I tell you, that's your birthright to have the presence of God in your home. But some of us have given it away because we are intimidated and have followed a false tradition. A false tradition. Here we go. Let's finish this. Listen to what he says. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you. As is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, that's coarse gesturing or foolish talking or dirty jokes or filthy talk about women or men and, and, and just carrying on like the world does. Let it not be found among my people, God says. It's not fitting, but rather thanksgiving and gratitude which should be that fills your heart and that's the way you should talk to people. With thanksgiving, not complaining, not all of these other things. Watch this. For this you know that no fornicator, no unclean person or covetous man who is in who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. You want to know something? He's saying, he's saying this, be imitators of Christ because Christ is the standard. And if you ignore that, there is a high price to pay and that is destruction. You go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Are you telling me I can work myself into heaven? What I'm telling you is exactly what I preached last week, that your faith has a consequence. Your faith is credited to you as righteousness, but it shows up in your practical day-to-day -day living. Your past is working with your present and will determine your future. That's what the Bible teaches. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Keep reading with me. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. It's like he's, 
He's hearkening back to what he said in Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, how? By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now let's read number two. And do not be conformed. There's that word that, that Peter used. Don't be like the rest of the world. Wide is the road that leads, but narrow. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He goes on to say, listen, and have no fellowship with unfruitfulness. The person that says he's received the the seed of life, but there's no fruit in his life, that's unfruitfulness. Don't be like that and don't have anything to do with him. Your life should produce fruit. Keep going on this with me. For it is shameful even to speak of these things. You should live in the light. Listen to verse 14. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Okay, pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready to live it. But you keep referring to this false tradition. What are you talking about? This is where we finish. I'm going to wrap up this whole false tradition thing. And how, how horrible it is when it enters into the church. In the New Testament, the apostle, I mean, the, uh, Jesus Christ himself and the apostle Matthew records it, says that the word of God is more powerful than heaven and earth in the sense that heaven and earth will pass away before one jot, one tittle will pass away from the word of God. I want you to think about this with me for a second. That means we could, he could crush up heaven and earth and have it pass away before the word of God, even one little accent mark fades. That's how powerful it is. But watch the second verse that I put up there with you. No, keep going back. Go back to, I'm on Matthew 24, 35, and Mark 7. Mark 7, watch this with me. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. He's talking to the religious leaders and this is what he's saying. He's saying the word of God is absolute power to transform heaven and earth and outlast heaven and earth. But when it comes to the choice of man, I respect that choice because I gave it to them. I gave you choice to either follow me or deny me. You render the word of God null, void, by the silly notion that holiness doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. It's only powerful when you know you need a savior. It's only powerful when you keep it the word of God. That you trying to work it out in your own strength is going to lead to what? Unholiness. And then instead of going and saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me and save me, you end up excusing it. And that becomes your tradition. That somehow it's our position. God loves. It's all about love. And you think that that's love? God says love means you obey my commandments. Love means I'm important to you. Love means you love me more than you love yourself. And I know it's inconvenient. I know it's inconvenient. I know it's inconvenient. 
It's inconvenient to live for me at times when the whole world is marching against you. But you're not supposed to be conformed. So quit conforming and excusing it and changing the word of God to You say, okay, so then what do we do? Second Corinthians puts it plainly. Do not be unequally yoked. I'm going to ask, where, where is it? Here it is. They put it way over here. Don't be unequally yoked. This is an old time yoke. What does it do? You tie one ox here and you tie another ox here. And you join them together so that wherever one goes, they have to go what? As a pair. Who are we to be yoked with? Do you not know that you are the members of who? Christ? That your body is the temple of God? And that the Holy Spirit lives within you? You are yoked with Christ. But listen to what Paul is saying. Do not be unequally yoked together with those who don't believe. Because they're marching that way, and you're supposed to be marching toward the cross. That means you're supposed to be imitating your Savior. That means you're side by side with Jesus, and Jesus is leading. And he's saying, no, we need to work this out. But instead, we yoke ourselves. Watch what he's saying. For what fellowship? That means what harmony, what kind of, of, of friendship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now watch this. And what agreement has the temple of God? There, that's that word again. You're the temple of God with idols. He's asking a lot of rhetorical questions, but of course the answer is what? None. We're like oil and water. They don't mix. So watch this. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Four promises. And this is where the message starts today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh my goodness, we're going to be here hours. Keith, think about this with me for a second. Four promises. He will dwell with us. Walk among us. He will be our God and we will be his people. That's fulfillment. You want fulfillment in your life? Say, Lord, forgive me. That's the difference between living in sin and falling now and again. Falling now and again, it grieves your heart. Why? Because you love Christ. And when you do something you ought not to have done, you get up and you say, Lord, forgive me. Help me by your power. Let me overcome and give me the strength to go on. When you want to live in sin, you end up kind of ignoring that fact. You come over here and try to find someone that you can rile up into this false tradition. Why? Because misery loves company. And if we can all excuse each other's sins, then maybe we'll be okay. 
but it's showing up in the way that our life is blessed. You want God in your home? This is the picture I get. Lord Jesus, I want you walking through my hallways of my home. When my daughter sleeps, I want you praying over her. I want you protecting my children. When my son sleeps, I want you praying over him. When I speak your word and I stand in the authority that you've given me, not just as a man, but as the father and the husband in that home, I want it to count for something. I want it to have weight. I want it to have spiritual significance. Why? Because your spirit is behind me. Your spirit is with me. As the worship team comes up, this is where we finish. You want fulfillment? This is where fulfillment is. God dwelling in you. Walking with you. Being your God and you being his. Because greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. If God be for you, who can be against you? What God has blessed, no man can curse. When God shows up, look out. Maybe you're here today and you've been, you've been following a, a false tradition. And that false tradition is simply that holiness is not that big a deal to God. And today, the Word of God. Notice, I didn't give you many fancy stories or little funny illustrations. I just preached straight out of God's Word. Verse after verse after verse, because I want you to follow God's tradition. That your position determines your practice. And when your practice lines up with your tradition, you know that you love him and your love is sincere. And when your love is sincere, he gives you the strength to live holy. And when you live holy, he shows up and he walks with you. He dwells with you. You will be his and the blessing comes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask a very simple question. If you have followed a false tradition and have not valued holiness the way the Holy Spirit says we should through the New Testament, then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let's pray for forgiveness right here. I see hands going up all over this place. So we're going to ask God to forgive us and then we're going to ask God to come and fill our hearts, fill our homes, walk among us and bring his blessing. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see every hand raised and you see every heart open. And today, Lord, we confess with our mouth that we have followed a false tradition at times. A tradition that has belittled the importance of holiness that has overemphasized love and grace at the expense of how practically that should be lived out. Of denying your consistency and your integrity because you clearly teach us that if you change us, then we shall be lived, we shall live changed. So Lord, forgive me, forgive us, and come and rule and reign in our homes. Show yourself to us. Draw us near to you. And give us the strength we need to bring you glory as we live. In Jesus' name, amen.
Foundation, I love you. Have a great, great week.